All right, we are back. We were talking to uh, to uh, Chuck Monroe, who's provided us with numerous fantastic guests uh, for this program in the last year. And it turned out we were unable to bring you John Dean. John Dean was available for, for more interviews um, uh, a week ago. We were not able to get one recorded, unfortunately. But they said that he would probably still be out there on the stump uh, trying to, to, to sell more of his books, Worse Than Watergate, uh, which I think you ought to have in your on your shelf at home. So I thought what we would do is just air the segment that aired last April 15th, our interview with John Dean. I, I think it will still hold up pretty well, and without too much further ado. John Dean served as Richard Nixon's chief counsel for almost a thousand days, and uh, Dean is universally credited as the man that sunk Nixon's presidency. To those who say that, I would argue that it was Richard Nixon who sunk Richard Nixon's presidency. But John Dean was certainly one of the probably three most important figures in the Watergate scandal. Between June 25th and June 29th of 1973, Dean's testimony before the Senate Watergate hearing had the eyes of the entire nation, if not the world, focused on the Senate chambers in Washington, D.C., as he explained that Richard Nixon and the Nixon White House had been deeply involved in the cover-up over the burglary that had taken place at the Watergate apartment complex on June 17th of 1972. Once John Dean blew the whistle, everything changed in Watergate. For the first year between the burglary and his testimony, the Washington Post nibbled away at the periphery of the scandal, but once Dean said that the White House had been involved in the cover-up, the issue came down to this. Either John Dean was lying or Richard Nixon was lying. For 14 months, this battle went back and forth until it was proven, via the release of Nixon's own recorded conversations, that he was the one that was lying. John Dean served four months in custody for his role in the obstruction of justice as regarding the, um, the Watergate cover-up. But um, he's turned his life around since then and had a very successful career as an investment banking lawyer. He's written two excellent books about his role in Watergate, Blind Ambition, The White House Years, and Lost Honor. He's also written a biography of Warren G. Harding and The Rehnquist Choice, the untold story of the Nixon appointment that redefined the Supreme Court. John Dean is here with us today to talk about Worse Than Watergate, the secret presidency of George W. Bush his analysis of what is currently going on with the Bush-Cheney White House. John Dean, welcome to Radio Parallax. Thank you. You were an integral part of the Nixon administration and played a major role in revealing its flaws to the public in the Watergate scandal. You've also written a book on Warren G. Harding, so how a presidency can go wrong is a subject you're extremely qualified to comment on. You've written, George W. Bush and Richard B. Cheney have engaged in deceit and deception over going to war in Iraq. This is an impeachable offense also evidence of the mentality that characterizes the Bush-Cheney presidency, which led to other abuses by pre presidential power, not unlike those underlying Watergate, only worse. What galvanized you to write those words? Well, I actually started this whole effort. Uh, it isn't a book I'd ever planned. I write a bi-weekly column, and in my column I was noting that uh, I was trying to send up some flares. This, this administration was headed down a path that was very familiar to me, and I wasn't sure if they realized which path they were on. And uh, the more I looked at it, the sooner I realized that, uh, indeed, they knew exactly what they were doing, that this was not a mistaken path, but a matter of a policy. And 
uh, secrecy is a hot button with me, and I would have written the same book uh, had it been about a Democratic presidency. Fair enough. Um, one aspect of the Iraq conflict that seems to have been mostly ignored uh, prior to worse than Watergate is its illegality per Congress's own authorization of the war. You emphasized that uh, Congress wanted a formal determination presented that A, diplomacy would not settle the weapons of mass destruction threat, and that B, military actions were part of a 911 terror attack response. So please explain to the public how Bush met neither requirement before launching us into war. Well, this is the deal he cracked with the Congress uh, in getting them to go to war and giving him a, a resolution that was somewhat unprecedented, that, that he wouldn't actually have to have the uh, the formal uh, resolution before going into Iraq. But within 48 hours, he had to make this determination. And the laws, the federal laws are filled with uh, presidential determination. It's a rather formal process by which a president, uh, because of his unique information access, presents Congress with his findings. Uh, and that is not what Bush did. Bush was, he agreed to do this to make these determinations, uh, these, that there was no diplomatic avenue to resolve the weapons of mass destruction and, not or, and that this was consistent with the war on terrorism, implicitly meaning that there was a tie with either al-Qaeda or uh, some other terrorist organization, or bin Laden or, or whoever. And the document he actually sent to the Congress within 48 hours of going into Iraq is the most remarkable document I have ever seen any president or any White House ever submit to the Congress. It is, it is uh, a fraudulent document. I'd explain at some length in the book, not using legalese, but just in plain old English, you know, how distorted and I think self-evident this is. Uh, it's a document that has been totally overlooked by the mainstream media, and it is exactly the kind of situation that uh, uh, the founders had in mind when you go to Congress, you give them straight information when you're the president. Indeed, this came up during the uh, resolution of uh, uh, the side of our, uh, our Constitution, and the founders said, hey, you cannot make false statements to Congress. And this is a false statement to Congress, making it a high crime and misdemeanor. Well, I would agree that uh, worse than Watergate is worth owning, if nothing else, for your explanation of how the White House sent information to Congress, which was included in all these whereas clauses, and then cited that in its justification. Quite something. That's right. It's a little complex to, to explain in sound bites. Sure. But basically what Bush did is he submitted a draft resolution which had whereas clauses. The lawyers call these uh, purgatory language. They're hopeful language. The Congress basically ignores them. Most resolutions have some sort of whereas and then a resolve clause in, in, in a resolution. And what Bush did is he turned around and used the whereas clauses that he had submitted to Congress as findings of the Congress and saying it's on the basis of this I make my determination to go to war. He, he implicitly did that last night in his press conference. He, he said that Congress had relied on, on this intelligence to make its decision about uh, the war in Iraq. What's ignored is that uh, the Congress really hadn't made findings, uh, formal findings. Um, you cite 11 scandals in the book that could bring down the administration, even if they should win in November. Now, Ambassador Joseph Wilson's appeared on this program to talk about what happened to his wife after he challenged the administration, and you seem especially taken aback by the outing of Valerie Plame. Why? Well, it's one of the dirtiest tricks I've ever seen, uh, and I've seen plenty of them from my days in the Nixon White House and just as an observer of presidential politics. This is life-threatening. Uh, it was a clear effort to try to discredit uh, Joe Wilson, uh, and by doing it and turning on his wife, it, you get pretty low. And he not only was her life threatened, but 
those with whom she was dealing in her capacity or professional capacity as a covert operative put their life in danger. You know as soon as her name was surfaced that every country in the world where she'd had any dealings uh, were running their computers looking to see who she dealt with, checking her phone logs and records and what have you. We don't even know the consequences of what may have happened uh, at this point. We do know there's a grand jury investigating this, however, because it's a criminal offense. And that grand jury uh, is being headed by the U.S. attorney in in Chicago, uh, who, if he's half the reputable man that he is known to be, and I have every reason to believe that's the case, he will ask this president and this vice president what they knew and when they knew it, because the focus of that entire inquiry is on the uh, Bush White House. And you're on record as suggesting that if they don't get uh, justice out of the Justice Department, that they they can launch a civil suit. Well, that's right. She does have that remedy. Uh, it's expensive to do. It, they will have a lot of uh, opposition, and they may not want to use their money for that purpose, but they always have that option. And that I'm convinced that either through a civil suit or through somebody in the press, as this grand jury proceeds, will reveal exactly who it was who was the leaker in this instance, and that may solve the problem. The fact that the, the Bush White House has taken the position, well, we don't even think they'll find the leaker. When they, when they want to find leakers, they'll throw the book at the leaker. Uh, I cite in the, in the book an example of one uh, uh, poor Ph.D. who worked for the Drug Enforcement Agency down in Atlanta uh, who leaked the fact that he thought somebody happened to be the richest man in England <laughs> was, uh-huh. should be subject to a, 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 a drug investigation. Almost 500 years of potential... Uh, time in jail for leaking a, an investigative report. Uh, so they can get leakers when they want them. Yes, they can, <laughs> as we'll, we'll talk about when we, t- when we tell our students about, uh, about Watergate a little more. Um, one of the most chilling parts of your book for me was your discussion of the battle between the General Accounting Office and Dick Cheney, whom you regard as a virtual co-president. Now, as a lawyer, you seem amazed at the decision that was rendered and the lack of appeal that went, went down after that. This has gotten a fair amount of publicity, but the public has missed the full significance of the case, I think. At least I know I had uh, until I read your book. Why is this lawsuit so important? The lawsuit is important, because, and it's still ongoing in another uh, iteration, if you will. Uh, it's, it's presently before the Supreme Court. In fact, it's the case that uh, Scalia has refused to recuse himself from after duck hunting with the vice president. But it, what it has to do is with, with, it started with GAO trying to get some very simple basic information about the energy task force that Cheney had set up that was clearly uh, helping uh, the energy industry in, at the expense of the environmental uh, issues that that raised. And uh, GAO had never had to sue a, a president or vice president in its entire history uh, but Cheney refused it and uh, refused to give even uh, any information whatsoever and rather distorted what they were asking for and clearly was looking for a fight. GAO actually brought the suit by a computerized system that is not loaded in any way, but a random sam- uh, or sampling of judges. It selects which court cases go to which judges, and as fate would have it, the case GAO case went to a brand-new judge just appointed by George Bush. And that judge got the message very quickly when the Solicitor General showed up in the trial court. And the Solicitor General represents the United States before the Supreme Court. But uh, uh, Ted Olson showed up in the trial court, and this judge had once worked for the Department of Justice. He got the message that this was a big deal case. And why is it a big deal? Because what the government was saying is that the vice president and president have a constitutional 
hole they can climb into that they can't be touched by Congress. Now, that isn't the way our system of checks and balance was designed to work. That's the way you can get yourself in a whole heap of trouble, and that's the way you start changing the fundamentals of our government. But they, are, they want to give this presidency power, the likes of which we've never seen. Same issue, in a sense, is now in a civil lawsuit uh, that uh, it was started by the Sierra Club and, a, and a, a group called Judicial Watch in Washington, where they've sought simple discovery to see if this, if, if this task force complied with federal law regarding advisory committees. And the vice president, again, has refused to produce any documents, and notwithstanding the trial judge refusing his position, the, court of, the three-judge panel at the Court of Appeals refusing his position, the full panel of the Court of Appeals refusing his position, they have jimmied together a, a, a case to take to the Supreme Court that is fuzzy even that it belongs there, not unlike Bush v. Gore, and that is now before the court. And uh, it's quite clear where Scalia is coming out, and the Gang of Five may well say, hey, we're going to create some new law here. We're going to redefine the Constitution and, and create uh, and eliminate what they held Bill Clinton to in a civil suit, which was simple discovery in the Paula Jones case. They're now going to reverse themselves. Who knows? Yeah. But anyway, it's, it's very troublesome because it, it, it eliminates the checks and balance system, which has so, been so important to our system of government. Yes. As I was waiting for your publicist to get uh, the worst in Watergate to us, I pulled off the shelf uh, a book of yours that I had, had not gotten to, The Rehnquist Choice, which I also highly recommend. I think a few people know that you were instrumental in putting William Rehnquist's name before Nixon as he was considering Supreme Court appointees. Could you make a brief thumbnail summary of how you feel that turned out? Right. That, uh, you probably weren't aware of that book because it was shipped uh, two days before 9-11. Oh. And uh, if anything didn't have the title Osama or terrorism or, or Islam in it uh, in the first six months after there, those books were all sort of just went by the wayside. Uh, but in that book, what I did is I reconstructed what really was a three-act play uh, based on Nixon's recorded conversations, my own documents and memory, and, and reconstructed how Rehnquist was selected to the court um, and I must say, this is the first time in history we've ever been able to really analyze the selection process. And it's in talking to other White House counsel that have both preceded and succeeded me, I find the process isn't that much different from president to president. So I was able to show how this happened, how it is not as systematic as one might think, and how it is somewhat almost random that people end up on the Supreme Court. One final question is, the issue of secrecy and its excesses come up over and over in Worse Than Watergate. In fact, your book is subtitled The Secret Presidency of George W. Bush. What's most striking to you about the secrecy of this administration? I guess the most striking aspect is its obsessiveness and, and its totality. Usually, a presidency is, has limited its secrecy to matters of national security, which are very justified and, very, and not inappropriate at all. This, this presidency started secrecy literally from the day they moved in. They, they pulled the shades, closed the doors, and put a gag rule on. Uh, they have done everything. They've shrink-wrapped the White House to try to prevent leaks. They have not been successful with all the departments and agencies, however. But uh, still, it is a pervasive and, a, I find, obsessive attitude towards secrecy that is, that's dangerous in a democracy. Our system works on accountability. If yeah. the voter doesn't have any idea what his officials or her officials are doing, there's no accountability. And there are also other ramifications of secrecy, that everything from bad decision-making to alienating 
the people from their government, uh, all of which I sort of tie up in a bow at the end and, and, and tell of some of the serious consequences right. this could all have. Well, John Dean, I know, I know that we're out of time, but we want to thank you very much for coming on and talking with us. And perhaps when this book tour is over, you can come on and, and speak with us again. I have so many questions to ask you. <laughs> I'd like to do that when it's not quite so rushed when you're out promoting a book. Well, I'll try and talk but, to your people, see if we can, uh, we can arrange that. And good luck with the book. Uh, you have a wonderful message to get out there, and, and, uh, and I hope you continue to do that. Thank you. All righty. Bye-bye. Bye. All right. We are out of time. Um, uh, there's actually one final item from The Onion uh, <laughs> headline. Vince McMahon's X-Ban promises bone-crunching legislative coverage. At a press conference Monday, pro-wrestling tycoon and entrepreneur Vince McMahon unveiled his latest broadcasting venture, X-Ban, a 24-hour cable network that promises in-your-face extreme lawmaking coverage that puts C-SPAN to shame. On March 24th, everything you know about the legislative process goes up in flames, McMahon said. Get ready for a bone-crunching smash-mouth 21st century lawmaking. Watch somebody go out and actually do it now. All right. Our thanks once again to John Dean, although this wasn't a live appearance. We're, we're glad that he appeared in the show and look forward to perhaps having him on again. We thank also Tom Burka for, uh, for uh, well, letting us steal from him with attribution. Mr. Burka's uh, legal representatives, please note. We'll see you next Thursday at 5 o'clock, where we hope to bring you Mr. Mark Umili, who's written a book about the Bush administration and the irrepressible Professor Irwin Corey. This program was produced by Edward McMillan. I'm Douglas Everett. And please, now, stay tuned for Todd.